seminary uh, prepares you for gospel ministry in numerous ways, but it did not prepare me to deliver the sermon. The last week has been filled with goodbyes, lunches, packing, and much more. A roller coaster week, to be sure. But we are going to end up this morning, fittingly, in Matthew chapter 28. I've enjoyed reading Matthew 28, the end of Matthew's gospel. Many times this last week, it's brought more comfort as I found refuge, and I hope we all find refuge yet again in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. So would you stand with me, please, as we honor the reading and preaching of God's holy word. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going... Behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. When they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We rejoice. We worship you. We worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this time together. Lord, I pray that you will incline our hearts towards your word. Father, I pray that we have come to see and to behold the risen Son, Jesus Christ. Father, as we have said before, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday is every Sunday. So Lord, we come together to worship. Teach us, Lord, to love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Teach us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Teach us to love even our enemies. 
who mock us and malign us and mistreat us. Father, we thank you and praise you that the Holy Spirit is with us. He guides us, he leads us, he protects us, he teaches us. So teach us, Lord, how to obey your son Jesus Christ even today. Father, we do not just follow you one day, but we are called to follow daily. So Lord, we seek to obey you. Lord, we pray that you will draw sinners unto yourself. Even this morning, Father, if it be your will, that you might draw people, men and women, boys and girls, unto yourself. So they might say, Jesus Christ is Lord. So they might see their sin, repent of it, and turn to you. This is our prayer. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this word, your word, which is living and true and sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, we call out to you because you hear us. And you show us great and unfathomable things. So Father, we call out to you again. We draw near to you. So Lord, would you draw near to us? Lord, I pray that we will seek you and seek your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The main point that I want you to know this morning, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, is worthy of your worship. We must follow him, and we must teach the nations and our neighbors to follow him. I had thought about going through all 20 verses. That does not surprise most of you. But we're going to pick up in verse 16. I'm going to do an audible. Verse 16. We're going to focus on the last few verses as the disciples come and are with Jesus. They, find, they are with Jesus. They go to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. Jesus knew what was about to take place. He had predicted his death numerous times. He knew it was coming. He knew the suffering that awaited him. He knew, knew the cross was near. He predicted it. He told his disciples where to go afterwards. And so here we pick up in verse 16, on the mountain, likely in Capernaum, where Jesus taught in earlier in Matthew 5. It's on this mountain now. Jesus speaks with his disciples in private. Again, many of you have read this passage, but it's always encouraging to remember the word is living. Jesus is alive. He's risen from the dead, and he is near not only his disciples, but he is near to you this morning. So he speaks with them in private, and he invites them to come Not so he can just portray some more information to them, but so that he might help them understand he is the Son of God, the Messiah, descended from David. He is the one who was predicted so that they might worship him. It's the main focus. They might worship him. So how do they respond in verse 17? They do. They worship him. You can imagine all the emotions. I don't mean to equate Uh, my story with Jesus' story, but all the emotions that led up to the cross, all the emotions for the disciples, and here they are, and all that they thought that was going to take place with the crucifixion took place, um, and now they're with Jesus on the mountain. He is there. It's one of those things like when you wake up in the middle of the night and you're hardly awake and you don't know what's going on, that you can only imagine as they're thinking, should I pinch myself? Am I really here? And so they are there, with Jesus on the mountain, and it says, when they saw him, they worshipped him. It does say, but some doubted, but who could blame them after all they had seen? 
This is a supernatural event. It was so startling, some of the disciples doubt, but those doubts would soon be erased with Jesus' words. Jesus' words would quiet any doubt. Jesus speaks with authority, and behold, we see the beauty of God's global plan again. You've heard these words. You've probably heard a couple sermons on these words, but we must hear it again. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is Jesus speaking. It's been given to me. And so he says, Now, here is your charge. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all. All that I have commanded you, this which is in the past is not the past, it's still the present. Teach them all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So this is commonly referred to as the Great Commission. Not the Great Suggestion, it's the Great Commission. As Jesus utters these words in verse 18, he's he's reassuring the disciples not just of his earthly authority, but this is authority from above. He gives a command to reveal the Father's authority. The Father's authority given to him. The Father approves of the Son, just like we saw with his baptism. This is my Son, with I love, in whom I am well pleased. Again, the Father approves of the Son. So we must realize the authority from which Jesus spoke is divine. You and I see Jesus' resurrection and words as evidence of his authority. So if they are authoritative, then we must pay attention. We must take them seriously. So what is Jesus teaching us here? We who are made disciples are to make disciples. Jesus gives instructions here to make disciples of who? All nations. Here's a uh, Pastor Steve phrase you've heard probably several times. Who needs the gospel? Anybody with a pulse, they all need the gospel. Everybody needs the gospel. And he says, take the gospel, make disciples of all nations. We must not overlook the connection between the two uses of all in verse 18 and 19. Jesus has been given authority, all authority, and now the church has authority, has a responsibility to make disciples of all nations. The church has a beautiful responsibility to take the gospel and proclaim that we serve the true triune God who brings life. He brings life. He brings light in the midst of darkness. So it's vital that we as a church body understand the imperative Jesus uses here in this command. The imperative is go make disciples. The imperative is to make disciples. This includes teaching, obeying, following, baptizing, and trusting God as we take the gospel to the nations. You and I have been called, if you are in Christ, you have been called, separated, as the people of God. So as the people of God, we must obey. We must take the gospel. We must speak what we know. We must proclaim the truth because we have been given the truth. Our eyes have been opened. So what does it mean to be a disciple and to make disciples of Christ? One definition of a disciple is this, a forgiven sinner who is learning to follow Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. Let me repeat that. A disciple is a forgiven sinner who is learning to follow Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. 
Simply put, it means we follow Christ. Disciples of Christ follow Christ. So it means we love God and we love others. It means that we walk humbly, we speak boldly, we love fervently, and we repent daily. Being a disciple means that we show others compassion, we serve people, we pray for others, and we witness to people of God's steadfast love revealed to us in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Remember Matthew 4, Jesus called his disciples to become fishers of men. We must move toward others in seeking to show others God's grace. But as we speak of God's grace, we must first understand His grace. When you think of God's grace, many of you, your minds probably go to Ephesians 2. There it says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And what's after that? This is not of yourselves. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So grace, just like faith, is a gift from God. God's gift opens our eyes to our sin and it continually teaches us to repent of sin. That's what it's called to be a disciple, to follow Christ. As we grow in grace, we grow in holiness. We are called to be holy. If you're a follower of Christ, you're called to be holy. Mark Dever says, neglecting holiness like neglecting church discipline results in hard-to-grow disciples. It's hard to grow plants in the winter because the ground is frozen. Maybe not in Alabama all the time, but it's usually. And so we must seek God, humble ourselves, and, and we are called to be holy. The way to be holy is to be, is to be aware of God's grace to you and to respond in worship. When you and I understand His grace, we'll seek his face because the spirit is in us it guides us and so disciples within the church are moved by the savior instead of selfish desires lives are transformed communities are affected so the fishermen and all the different disciples their lives are transformed their once desire is no more because now what's their focus follow jesus so your your life is transformed that means we pray for the lost instead of mocking them for their mistakes It means that we sacrifice time to listen to a friend who is going through various trials. It means we sacrifice vacation time in order to go on a mission trip to take the gospel to unreached areas. It means many things, but when the grace of God opens our eyes, our lives are changed. We are changed by grace and motivated by grace. The Apostle Paul definitely was. He was a man who was radically changed by the grace of God. Galatians 1, 15 and 16, you can look at that later, but we see there the Apostle Paul says, the grace of God has changed me. Acts twenty twenty four is kind of a mission statement for Paul. Acts 20, it says, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish the course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God, to speak of God's grace, to proclaim that he is true, to proclaim that his steadfast love never ends, to speak of the gospel of the grace of God. This sounds like Colossians 1, Galatians 2, Philippians 3, the grace of God changed the Apostle Paul. The grace of God changes us as we follow Christ, as we love God, as we seek his kingdom. This is what it means to be a disciple of Christ. 
as we make disciples, we teach others of God's kingdom. We've seen the kingdom throughout the Gospel of Matthew. The kingdom of God is central to the Great Commission. Here, they are to go, baptize, teach all of God and His kingdom. It's imperative that disciples rely on the power of prayer and the work of the Holy Spirit throughout the discipleship process. This isn't, okay, let me come up with a a formula or man's agenda. No, we seek the Holy Spirit as we make disciples. As my brother Justin Wax reminded me, disciples should practice cruciformity, which means being conformed to the pattern of the cross, dying to self in service to God. Believers understand that cruciformity leads to a passionate pursuit of Christ. This is why we say, if any man come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So we passionately pursue Christ because the grace of God has opened our eyes to see the way of the cross, and it changes our plans and our pursuits and our passions. As we pursue Christ, we pursue God. We love God, and we pursue others that God has put in our lives. Disciples are made as we obey God. Disciples are made as not only as we teach, but as we live out the truth before them. What did Paul say? Whatever you have seen in me, not just what you taught, but whatever you've seen in me, put into practice. So disciples are made as we obey God, as we go, as we proclaim, as we baptize Those who repent and trust in Jesus as Lord are baptized, not just in the Father's name, but in the name of the Son and of the Spirit as well. Baptism reflects union with Christ. It points to the fact that we are a new creature called to put sin to death as we live for God as his disciples. The making of disciples is God's work. This is God's work achieved as his word and spirit work through the activity of Christian disciples and in the hearts of those they speak to. Pastor Dave Ferguson suggests an acronym called BLESS in making disciples. This acronym is BLESS. B, begin with prayer. L, listen to people. E, eat with others. S, Serve your community, and S, again, share God's story. Speak of the kingdom. So as believers in Christ, we are called to be light in the midst of darkness. We must be distinct from the world while we influence and impact the world in the way we live as disciples of Jesus. But what does disciple-making look like on a more practical scale? I know that there was journals passed out before the services, so I hope you got one. I don't know if I um, bought enough journals for everyone, and I wasn't expecting this many people here this morning, and so this is a, a good thing, a good problem to have. But I wanted you to take the journal. There's a picture of our family inside. You can um, use as a dartboard or pray for our family, either way. Um, but besides the picture of our family, I want to give you some practical ways to make disciples. What does disciple-making look like on a more practical scale? I was talking with someone recently, and they said, Well, Steve, I understand that disciple-making is obeying God, trusting God, following God, but what does that look like on a more personal level? You know, get me down from the 30,000 feet and get me to about 300 feet or 30 feet. So let me give you some basics. So two categories, basics 
and learning specialist skills. This comes from a book called The Vine Project. Here's some basics. These are basics every believer, every disciple should know. How to read the Bible prayerfully as a regular part of life. How to read the Bible prayerfully as a regular part of life. How to share your testimony with non-Christians. Again, as I've said before, if you had cancer and you were healed of cancer and it was in remission, you would be telling everyone the good news. So again, we are called to speak of what God has done, His character and His grace in our lives. Number three, how to answer common questions that are raised about Christianity. That doesn't mean you're a know-it-all and you, ha- you have taken apologetics 101 through 105 or, two or 201, whatever, but it does mean you can answer some common questions that are raised about Christianity. How to encourage and minister to others on Sunday, what is often called the ministry of the pew. I think about my brother Morris encouraging and ministering others um, daily or on Sunday, the ministry of the pew. How to minister to your spouse and children. These are basics for believers. Okay, here's some specialist skills, some, learning some specialist skills. How to lead a small group. How to lead in children's ministry. That is a specialized skill. How to lead in music ministry. How to counsel individuals with struggles. How to prepare and deliver sermons. And so I'm not going to take up time this morning to say, well, how do we do all those things? But uh, when we see these basic skills and these specialist skills, we see it begins with equipping. As, As God gives elders, pastors to the church to equip the flock in these areas. If we do not make disciples, as I said earlier, the Great Commission is not the great suggestion. If we do not make disciples, we should not be surprised with churches that are plateaued or declining. It's not about numbers, that's for sure, but it is about disciples. So we must understand evangelism and discipleship are tied together. Again, it's not one or the other, but they are tied together. We must not emphasize one at the expense of the other. read an article this past week. I won't share it all this morning, but it talked about how while many churches have lost an outward focus. They begin to focus on how can we maintain what we have. If we lose an outward focus, then we won't be seeking to make disciples outside of the church campus. So we must not lose an outward focus. And as we make disciples, again, it's, it's reassuring to me that it's not on my shoulders. It's not on your shoulders It's comforting knowing that God sends us, but He will sustain us. He is with us. He goes before us. He prepares us for the journey and equips us on the journey ahead. Look with me at the last verse, verse 20. Fitting words, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus concludes the commission with a crucial element of discipleship. What's the crucial element of discipleship? His presence. He is with us. The first chapter of Matthew describes how Jesus would come as the Messiah, the son of David, predicted by the prophets, whose name would be Emmanuel, God with us. Now here at the end of Matthew, the promises are still true. God is still with us. Praise his name.
we must remember what we saw in Matthew 16. What did Matthew 16 say? What did Jesus say? He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus will build his church. He has conquered death. He has risen from the dead. He is alive today. I spoke with someone not too long ago and said, and they said, uh, I hate change. And I don't think any of us like change, but it's inevitable. Except Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Jesus will build his church through proclamation, through salvation, as God's grace reaches every nation. As I close, I want to remind you that Jesus is worthy of your worship. Will you follow him? Will you teach the nations about Jesus? Will you teach your neighbor, your coworker, or your family member about Jesus? That's where discipleship begins, in the home and moves outward. Let me encourage you this morning that if you are not following Jesus, You can follow him today. You can repent of your sins today and trust in Jesus Christ. Say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, because we all fall short of God's glory. Let's pray.